Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm Ryan Coonerty. Along with Debbie Cox Bolton of the New Deal, I'm lucky enough to be your co-host. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports the next generation of American leaders. From attorneys generals to state senators to mayors to school board members, these are the people that are pushing policies and politics that will respond to climate change, rebuild our economy, address racial injustice, and restore our democracy. These are incredibly talented people who have dedicated themselves to public service when their country and their communities need it the most. Check out NewDealLeaders.org to see what I'm talking about. From the New Deal's annual conference in Washington, D.C., today we talk with Arizona Secretary of State-elect Adrian Fontes. If you woke up grateful that you still live in a democracy, you have Adrian to thank. He's a fighter. He's a former Marine. He was the county recorder of Maricopa County for the 2020 elections. And now he's the Secretary of State-elect for the state of Arizona. He talks about how he won that fight for democracy and how it involved telling a joke to Billy Crystal. Enjoy. Arizona Secretary of State-elect Adrian Fontes, welcome to An Honorable Profession. It is wonderful to be speaking with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I got to tell you, on election night, I was checking a lot of results around the country, but yours was the first race I pulled up because I thought your race was not only critical to the people of Arizona, but frankly, to the United States and the whole world, if we're going to have a functioning democracy going forward. It has been a journey for you. And I want to start by going back to when you were elected to be recorder in Maricopa County in 2016, because I don't think people appreciate the role that you played in getting us functioning democracy and then ensuring that the people of Arizona could be the deciding voters for Joe Biden in his election in 2020. So let's talk about what you did as county recorder that nobody knows about, but people should. People should. (laughs) Well, what a lot of people don't know is Maricopa County became, under my administration, the second largest voting jurisdiction in the United States. We registered about half a million new voters in those four years. We went from a precinct-based model where you had one assigned voting location into a vote center model where you could vote anywhere in the county, which was very good for folks. And we made a lot of other technical changes and some very pro-voter policy implementation that really helped turn out. And Joe Biden actually won Maricopa County by about 40,000 votes. Uh, he lost the rest of the state by somewhere near 30,000. So he, he won Arizona, but the margin was about 10, close to 11,000 votes total. So that was sort of the implications at that level. For myself, you know, my re-election campaign was, I was on the same ballot, but it was, you know. <laughs> well, you had a pretty big job. Yeah. No, I had, I had a campaign <laughs> too, which, which I didn't do as well as I did my job, which I feel good about still. But we came up short, about 4,600 votes out of the nearly 2 million cast. And so, you know, I had something else to, to do, you know, after that. I ended up down in Tucson, in Pima County, as chief deputy for Gabriela Caceres Kelly, the new county recorder there first indigenous woman to be elected in the Tucson area. She's a member of the Tahana Autumn community and a great friend who started implementing with a little bit of my help, a lot of the same policies in the Tucson area for those voters. And so we did make it easier to vote. Uh, We had amazing turnout even during the pandemic for 2020. And I'm just really proud of the work that we did there. 
a lot of those systems were the ones actually, interestingly, that came under fire by the cyber ninjas and their crew in 2021. And so I was kind of busy in Tucson, not paying too much attention to all that audit stuff, but it was interesting to watch from the sidelines and, and see them try to poke holes in my work. I don't, they weren't too successful, though. So, I mean, this is the thing I'm not sure people appreciate. So 2020, Joe Biden wins by 10,000 votes, in part because you registered, helped get half a million people in Maricopa County registered. Yeah. And the other part of that was between 2016 presidential to 2020 presidential, Maricopa County saw 600,000 more ballots cast. So we didn't just register 500,000 more voters. We got access so easy, even during, the, again, the pandemic, that we saw 600,000 more ballots cast. And that gave him that 40,000 vote margin in Maricopa County that helped uh, get him those 11 electoral votes. And so those of us that are watching this closely think, amazing job, Adrian. Great job, 2020. Oh, my God, what's going to happen in 2022, 2024 and beyond? without you there in this critical swing state where you may have people who are not committed to making democracy accessible to voters. We've got plenty of those. Yeah, I, I, yeah. As we are getting increasingly aware and many of us are freaking out that you're not there. And then we hear that you are going to run statewide for secretary of state in what is expected to be not a great year to be a Democrat. Yeah. And tell us about that decision. A good friend and mentor, the late Grant Woods, former two-term Republican attorney general of Arizona, had chaired my reelection campaign. We were talking in the spring, and he ended up helping me decide to run for secretary of state. And, and again, you're right. It wasn't looking like it was going to be a good year for Democrats, but it was a good natural step. You know, Maricopa County is, I think, we're like bigger than a couple dozen states in the union. And so it's a just a good natural step. We had a lot of name recognition moving in and, you know, Democrats needed some strong leadership in Arizona at the time. So we made that decision. We, we threw our hat in the ring. And then unfortunately, I say it, it's a little morose, but Grant goes and passes away on me in October of 2021. But his widow Marlene steps in as chair and she's amazing. So we build our campaign team. We're charging forward. And as we are pushing these, what some people call the election denialists emerge in Arizona. I call them authoritarians. You know, there's no reason to be politically correct <laughs> and, and spare their feelings. They're fascists. They don't want every American who's eligible to be voting, only theirs. And they don't want to count everybody's votes, only theirs. And so we had a hell of a fight on our hands. We, we did have a primary. We came out victorious in August of 2022. And now here we are. And so Let's talk about that election because, you know, elections are always hard. Elections against people who are living in an alternate reality and want to destroy, essentially run for office to destroy the democracy they're supposed to be overseeing <clears throat> is a scary prospect anywhere, but it's especially scary in a swing state that could go either way. So yeah. how did you combat that? How did you run? You know, it's a year long statewide grind. What was that like? Well, the first thing I did was sort of do an assessment of like, what does Arizona look like and what does Arizona want? And like, I grew up down on the border in Nogales, in, in Santa Cruz County, Arizona, south of Tucson. And I'm not a spring chicken. I've been around the sun a few times. And what I knew was that I didn't want a whole bunch of, you know, these Washington, D.C. consultant types to descend on my, on my state and tell me, how to talk to my own people, how to talk to the folks that I understand. So we built a campaign team that was 100% based in Arizona. 
we did talk to some folks outside of the state just to get different perspectives on this and that. But we knew that we were going to be fighting a tough fight. We knew that we had to be strong in our language. We knew we had to be firm in our approach. And we had to be unforgiving in our language against the enemies of democracy, right? These fascists. And so we just came right out swinging and we kept swinging and we kept punching really hard. And that got us a good amount of, of notice and notoriety nationally. And, and we just kept pushing and kept pushing and kept pushing. And it was sort of like the relentless surge, if you will, that, you know, the kind of tactic that I learned in the Marine Corps, you just keep punching and keep punching until the other guy gives up. Well, he hasn't given up yet. You know, the voters <laughs> gave up on him. Right. And, you know, it's funny. I, I laugh with my campaign. We actually had more statewide votes than Mark Kelly did up until the day before the race was called or like the day the race was called. He overtook me in raw number of votes. And I texted him, Senator Mark Kelly, who who is a friend and, and, a, and a great Democrat. I said, you've overtaken me, but I'm going to I'm going to take the lead back, you know, <laughs> count all the ballots or something like that. And he texted me back and he said. I'd have been beating you from the beginning if it hadn't been for that damn libertarian uh, on the, in his race. And so it was a heck of a run. We got a lot of national exposure from folks who were paying attention to that coalition of America first candidates for secretary of state, you know, the, the fascist crew across the country. And secretary of state races really mattered a lot. People started realizing how important it is. And so the silver lining on this is this cycle 2022 was really in a real way a civics lesson for the United States of America, for folks to really start understanding this is important and we've taken it for granted for far too long. Walk us through why it's important, the differences between you and your opponent on how elections would be run in two very different visions, right? And policies. And so I think people assume that they will be able to register and vote and have it be a relatively easy process, but that is not the potential if some of these incredibly dangerous people get elected to run elections in this country? Yeah. I mean, you start from the beginning, right? At the core, you can't have an election process without certified election officials. And it's the secretary of state who does the coursework and certifies election officials. So who is my former opponent going to be certifying? What kinds of lessons will he be teaching? What sorts of things is he going to be saying? It's so basic. The differences are so incredibly stark that you've got to start there. You haven't even gotten to the system or the voters or anything else yet. Right. Who's going to be running the show? And you know, you've got to have fair play. You've got to have folks from both sides of the political aisle or all sides, if you will, because Arizona's, you know, 30, 30, 30, Republicans, independents, and Democrats. And so from that point on, the differences get broader and broader, right? He had flat out said several times that he would not certify a 2024 election if Donald Trump did not win. And that's in and of itself anti-American. That's just not how we America, right? And so everything from the beginning and certifying election officials all the way to the end point, where even if the voters said, yeah, Donald Trump didn't win, he would just say, nope, nope not certifying that one. But if Donald Trump did win, he would certify, right? And this is, this is the psychophancy. This is the sort of the mental bend and I don't know how they justify it in their own minds. I don't understand that process uh, that they have in their heads that says that the American voter is irrelevant, that the American voter doesn't have the power to put their leaders in office, that the power lies with just the people who like Donald Trump. I mean, that's the attitude of these folks. That was Kerry Lake's attitude, the Republican governor candidate, Blake Masters, the Republican Senate candidate. 
Mark Fincham, the guy I ran against, Abe Hamaday, who, who narrow, narrowly lost uh, to the Democrat, uh, Chris Mays running against him. It's crazy, right? So you ask about the differences. It is black and white, and it cannot be more polar between folks who care about American democracy and the American voter and their voice and their power and the folks who would dismiss it outright just because. So I follow you on social media. We've been friends for a while. I'm watching you sort of grind it out in the early days, trying to just trying to get a campaign going, trying to get it going. Yeah. And then it caught, right? People all of a sudden figured out, oh, wait, hold on. There is this crazy threat to democracy. Yeah, There is. And if we don't have Adrian and Jocelyn Benson in Michigan. And Cisco <laughs> Aguilar in Nevada, right? And Steve Smith in Wisconsin and the rest of us who were answering the clarion call. And by the way, you have to say it's a bipartisan clarion call because, you know, uh, Secretary Raffensperger won re-election in Michigan. He's not a terrible Republican, right? Yeah. He's not one of those MAGA guys who's going to bend for Donald Trump. And so this was a lot more than just a partisan thing. And sort of the spark that took it off or that made it take off, I think, was right after the primary in early August, I think it was like August 2nd or 3rd, the national media starts this weird campaign that focused on my opponent. And the New York Times did a piece. The Washington Post did a piece. A couple of the cable news networks did a piece. And they didn't mention that even had an opponent. <laughs> they didn't even mention that there's a Democrat running against him. All they did was say, here's this crazy guy. And look, he has like fake spray tan and he wears a cowboy hat and he's election denier, right? And, and they wouldn't call him a fascist, but I have guts enough. They don't. It doesn't matter. I love you, media, whatever. <laughs> and they just went off on this thing. And I was, you know, for a couple of days, I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. Where's like the answer to this poison? Where's the antidote in this storytelling? And it didn't exist. And so my comms team, led up by Matters of State, a group there in, in Phoenix and, and Matt Grodsky, my comms guy, they went crazy. And they were just banging out emails and making phone calls to these national media outlets. Like, why in the world are you publishing this without even mentioning that there's a Democrat running, much less his name? And so I really had support from an amazing communications team that really started poking. And then it happened. The tide started turning and we started getting that attention. But I think the narrative had been built, right? The In the movie script, you, you introduced the bad guy, the dark specter. <laughs> and so if you look at the storytelling arc of the 2022 election, particularly through the lens of the Arizona Secretary of State race, you've got what looks pretty interesting, right? They introduce this villain, and then all of a sudden this other random schmo from Nogales shows up, and everybody's like, look, there's this <laughs> Marine and he's going to save us all. And so we captured as much of that energy as we could in the campaign. And we really did everything that we could to capitalize politically on that. And we had amazing partners. Kim Rogers and the Democratic Association of Secretaries of State came in big. I vote Ellen Klein over there and her folks, they came in big for us. We had a surprising amount of help from outside of Arizona because of this storytelling. And interesting, in the primary... I was outspent almost five to one. 85% of our donors were from inside of Arizona. Those numbers completely flipped in the general. 80% of our donors were from outside of Arizona and small dollar donors from across the country. So everybody that pitched in, thank you. Like you, y'all helped make it happen because we, we really needed it. 
let's go from storytelling to joke telling, because one of the consequences of becoming a national story is all of a sudden people outside of Arizona and the small circles of people who pay attention to these races start paying attention. Yeah. And you were telling me a story of vetting that you got in in Hollywood. You went it was I, Brentwood. Brentwood. Yeah. Brentwood. It was, it was a little more highbrow than <laughs> Hollywood. So we get invited to a Democratic Association of Secretaries of State fundraiser at the home of Rob Reiner, a famous Hollywood guy. And I actually very, 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 I was so privileged to meet Norman Lear, who's 100 years old. And, and I didn't know wow. he was a World War II vet. And flew he wasn't a pilot he was part of the bomber crew over germany and he flew like 28 missions which is crazy that he survived but then here's like the, the quintessential american storyteller right so i'm all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and i'm all <laughs> hollywooded out amazing people that i'm meeting and i walk over to this couple and it's his stories in three quick parts i walk over to this couple the woman was a lovely woman said hello and then i turned to to the man and they were certainly like a little less vertical than I am. I'm, I'm six four, so uh, guy sticks his hand out and he goes, "Hi, I'm Billy." And I realized, oh my god, this is Billy Crystal, right? So I'm standing in front of Miracle Max, right, getting ready to storm the castle, and I start talking with him. And so I get into campaign mode all of a sudden, and I start telling him this story, right, that I tell on the campaign trail, and it hits hard in Arizona. Everybody loves this story. So basically, it goes: I'm a young guy, I'm enlisted in the Marine Corps, I go to boot camp. And after boot camp, they give me three choices of duty station. They say East Coast, West Coast, or overseas. And being a kid from Nogales, which is down on the border, I say, I want to go overseas, right? And see the world as a Marine. It'll be fun. And I'm in like, like early 20s at the time, whatever. And then my second choice is the East Coast because I've got family in California and, and I'd been to Disneyland. So I'm like, forget about it. Let's go somewhere else. My third choice was West Coast. Well, so the United States Marine Corps then stations me at Marine Corps Air Station. And then I kind of make the dramatic pause, Yuma, Arizona, <laughs> which for anybody that knows Arizona and knows Nogales and Yuma, it's hilarious because Yuma's two hours away from my hometown on the border. And that's really very funny to Arizonans. But if you're from outside of Arizona, it doesn't mean anything. And so <laughs> he had zero expression. You know, I, the punchline, Yuma, Arizona, okay. and he didn't react. She politely chuckled because she could tell that I was trying to deliver a punchline right? Here's like the king of comedy. comedy. No reaction. Okay. Part two, 20, 30 minutes later, we do the introductions into like this panel and sitting in the row is Rob Reiner, secretary Griswold from Colorado, Cisco Aguilar, who's the democratic nominee for Nevada. I'm sitting there. And then the secretary from California is sitting there, Janice, uh, Dr. I can't remember her last name. Anyway. Yeah. Dr. Weber. She's sitting there next to me. And they're going through introductions, and I tell this crowd of Hollywood elites, okay? Yes, I was in front of a crowd of Hollywood elites, and I go, and I've got enough courage to take on these guys. I'm courageous enough that I tried to tell Billy Crystal a joke, and he didn't think it was funny. <laughs> and they start roaring with laughter. What I didn't know was he's the judge of what's funny in Hollywood. People go pitch stories to him all the time, and he'll tell them, hey, you want some lunch? And they'll say, yeah. And he's like, there's a sandwich shop down the street, and he chases them out of his office. Like, he's the judge. So they all thought that was very funny. And I'm like, okay, great. I got the crowd. But what I didn't see was him in the crowd. That's why I said it. He was sitting outside of my eye shot behind a wall over on the corner. Anyway, I would have said it if he was there anyway, but still. <laughs> okay, so that's part two. Part three, the whole thing is done. This is about 45 minutes later. I'm standing there talking to this nice lady that I had met before. And this guy named 
Jason, who I had just met at that moment. Turns out it's Jason Reitman, like another famous Hollywood guy who I had no idea who this, I like, I don't know any of these people. Like I don't do movies and celebrities <laughs> and stuff like that. Right. Whatever. And that's a little embarrassing, but so we're chatting up walks this couple and it just happens to be Billy Crystal and his wife. And he looks at me and he goes into this caricature of like the little short Jewish guy from New York. Right. And you could tell he's kind of playing it a little. Yeah. And he looks me in the face, kind of looking up at me because I'm a lot taller than him. And he goes, tell me the joke that you said that you told me. <laughs> and there's this like music to what he said. And I go, I beg your pardon. And he says, tell me the joke that you said that you told me. So I'm like, okay. And, and so I start delivering this joke because Billy Crystal is asking me to tell him a joke that I told this crowd that I told him. Whatever. Anyway, so I go through the whole thing. Boot camp, East Coast, West Coast, and then Yuma, Arizona. And he looks at me deadpan and he says, it still isn't funny. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) he goes, it still isn't funny. But the second time he said it, he had a twinkle in his eye. And I knew that he was trolling the hell out of me at that moment. (laughs) And I felt I had been welcomed into the fold. It's not enough to save democracy once and going forward. (laughs) You also have to tell jokes to the master. On command. On command. That was, and there was a lot of pressure. And it was a very warm rejection. It was a loving <laughs> embrace of disdain, you know. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it wouldn't have been good if you just sort of shake your hand and said, good luck. And, you know, now you got a story. Now yeah. you got something you tell. Yeah, you. well, no. You're, so you're, you're the first one I've really told that story to that's going to put it out there. So forgive me. Mr. Crystal. <laughs> so so tell me, like, after this odyssey, yeah. now the work begins. Yes. What are your priorities as we now quickly, I mean, it's, you know, we just finished this election, but now we're heading to the next. What are you looking at in, in Arizona? Well, as we're recording this right now, we're putting together our transition team. As a matter of fact, the announcement will be out within an hour or two. I imagine that'll be, have been done by the time this airs. And what we're doing is we're building two teams. One is a basic transition team that's going to really look at our policies for the election stuff in the office overall. And then we're building a a business advisory committee. Both of them are bipartisan because we had a lot of Republican support. We had a lot of independent support in our campaign. And this office serves the whole state of Arizona. And there's a lot of independents and Republicans in Arizona. So, you know, we want to serve everybody who believes in the truth. And so first and foremost, we're going to, as I understand it, be working on the business department within the uh, Department of State in Arizona. And that's going to be really trying to be more efficient and more robust in our delivery of business services, right? We want this corner of government to work at the speed of business, not at the speed of government or the traditional speed of government. So we'll be working on efficiencies there. Insofar as sort of election administration in the state, the first thing I want to do is get a good, solid understanding of what's happening in our 15 counties. Like, like what do your systems need insofar as resources, uh, human resources, IT security resources? Do you need new tabulation systems? You know, where are things sitting? And I really want to include the Elections Officials Association in Arizona in the conversation about what we're going to do moving forward to update and improve the Elections Procedures Manual, which is kind of like the rule book on how to run elections outside of the statutes themselves, and really try to build some bridges with members of the Republican legislature, because we still have a Republican House and we still have a Republican Senate, uh, in spite of the fact that our current secretary and governor-elect Katie Hobbs is moving up to the ninth floor. 
so we have an ally on the ninth floor, which is going to help. But one of the reasons that, you know, we're, we're going to look very carefully and do a lot of these surveys is because I want to make sure to be able to engage a lot of our partners at CISA, at DHS, at a lot of these other spaces where we know that we can get some help in bolstering our security systems uh, because denialism is dangerous. And, you know, my friend Bill Gates, a Republican supervisor from Maricopa County, he's had to literally live in hiding for about a week or so because of the threats against him. The recorder that beat me in 2020 took my office. Good guy, earnest guy, his name's Stephen Richer. He's had police officers parked outside of his house for, you know, days and weeks at a time because of the security threats. And so, you know, the, a lot of the outlying counties around Maricopa don't have the kind of resources that Maricopa has. And so we need to look carefully at working with our, our federal and other partners to make sure that we have the resources that they need in the counties, because they're the ones who actually run elections, not the Secretary of State or the regulator. And if anybody ever has a question about that, all you got to do is look at Cochise County, you know, or Pinal County or any of the other counties. It's the counties is where the rubber meets the roads. It's those local officials uh, that are closest to the voters. They need the help. So really, we want to make the focus helping and being that servant leader to the counties and thereby the voters in Arizona so they can improve their systems for their for their folks. I'm scared to ask, but I will. Do you feel like the fever is breaking on denialism and fascism in your state? Is this election enough to cause people to step back and say, let's push those people to the side and <clears throat> let's let's form the foundation of democracy? Or are we No, no. What I'm worried about is that our urgency against them will break. I'm worried that the victories that we've just gained will break. And and here's where we're at, in my view. January 6, 2021 was a declaration of war against American democracy. And the 2022 election was a victory in a battle, but it is not yet a war won. And we cannot let our foot off the gas. Uh, those of us who won against the fascists, against the authoritarians, we need to build broader coalitions. We need to build deeper alliances with our friends, our democracy loving friends on the political right and in the political center. We can't stop. These folks won't stop. I remember when I was a kid, there was a big sign. We used to drive to Tucson from Nogales all the time uh, on the old Tucson Nogales Highway. There was a sign on the side of the road, white sign, blue letters, and it said, get us out of the United Nations. And the word us was capitalized. So U.S. Right. right? And on the bottom, it said John Birch Society. These folks have been around for generations and they're going to continue to be around. And if we pretend for one second, like this serpent isn't going to rear its ugly head again, then we are dead wrong. And so we have to fiercely fight against them at every turn. You know, if there's anything I learned when I was in the Marine Corps, it's once you get your enemy down, you kick them and you kick them while they're down, especially if they're fighting against your family, especially if you're fighting against your vote, especially if they're fighting against your nation. This is a domestic enemy and this is not hyperbole, right? These are folks who very recently, for example, the leaders of some of these folks have been tried and convicted for seditious conspiracy. This is a civil war type of a charge. These are crimes against the United States of America. And these folks who are cheerleading them are in our politics. And so we've got to beat them back over and over and over again and never let up against them. That's what I'm afraid of is that people will think, oh, we won some elections in 2022. We're good wrong dead wrong 
This is an ongoing generational battle, and we've got to keep fighting it. Well, Secretary Fontes, it is good to have you in the New Deal. It's good to have a former Marine out there fighting for us on the front lines of democracy. So happy you won. So happy that you will be uh, mobilizing in this continuing fight. Thank you for your service. Thank you so much for having me and be happy to come back whenever you want. Thanks for listening to An Honorable Profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders and keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Road Group produces podcasts. I'm Ryan Coonerty, and because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast.